Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to www.productiveinsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. If you're a small business owner looking to build his or her brand using the power of content marketing, copywriting, and better digital marketing strategies that attract lifelong clients who become raving fans and tell their friends about you, then this episode is for you. I'm Ash Roy, the founder of ProductiveInsights.com and the host of the Productive Insights podcast, and I'm genuinely excited to bring you this episode with Bernadette Schwert. Bernadette is an award-winning Australian entrepreneur and the founder of Copy School. In this conversation, we dive into a variety of fascinating topics that will help you move the needle in your business using genuine, authentic methods to build your brand over the long term. Firstly, Bernadette and I talk about her approach to creating content in the buyer's journey at the awareness, consideration, and decision stages, and specifically what questions she tries to answer at each of those stages in her content. A lot of business owners don't know this. And that is one of the first questions a client will ask is, what do we write? And that's not a simple answer. You have to take a few steps back and look at the creative brief. You actually do a whole series of question and answer sort of responses. We then talk about striking a fine balance between writing for humans, but still pleasing the SEO gods so that your content ranks for the correct search terms and is search engine optimized. You can sort of infiltrate those keywords into your copy. You merge both the human need and Google's need so that you come up with a piece of copy that's going to appease both camps. She talks about how to leverage customer feedback and parlay that into your copywriting. And she re-emphasizes the importance of understanding your audience. She even talks about how strategy connects at a high level to the copywriting process, which I thought was very important and useful. I don't think you can ignore the SEO completely, but at the same time, I don't think you can ignore your instinct and impulse as well. I listen to what my customers or prospects say. I hear the questions that they're asking me and I take that into accommodation as well when I'm writing copy. And then she also shares how her skills as a mentor in copywriting has helped some of her clients make massive transformations in their lives and build businesses that have given given them freedom from the nine to five. Part of the reason I love what I do, and this has only come about since I've started the training, is you realize people want something different in their lives. And I get a lot of joy from being able to see people make progress and take information and apply it. And so when I see these people progressing on a certain age, it gives me enormous joy just to see how people can take the information, apply it and change their lives. So strap in and listen carefully to the pearls of wisdom that Bernadette shares that you can then implement in your business and your life and watch your business soar. Oh, and one more thing before we start. Over 90% of you who watch this YouTube channel have not subscribed. If you've ever enjoyed our videos, could you do me a favor and please hit the subscribe button? This helps the channel more than you probably know. And the bigger the channel gets, the better quality guests we can bring to you. So please go ahead and hit subscribe if you enjoy these videos and share them with a friend. Thanks. And let's get into the conversation with Bernadette. Bernadette Schwert is an award-winning Australian entrepreneur, author, TEDx speaker, and advertising copywriter. She's the founder of Copy School, the Australian School of Copywriting, and is the country's leading copywriting coach. Bernadette's flagship online courses help marketers, business owners, and freelance content creators 
create cut-through content that places them at the top of their field and on page one of Google. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Bernadette Schwert from copyschool.com, and we're going to be talking about how you, our listener and viewer, can grow your brand and your authority using content. Welcome to the show, Bernadette. Thanks for having me, Ash. It's great to be here. I'm very excited to have you. I've been reading some of your books, one of your books particularly, and I found it to be very, very succinct and punchy, which I absolutely love. I'm very biased towards that sort of content that doesn't waffle a lot. And that's a very Aussie approach to most things, in my opinion. So great to have you. So Bernadette, let's start there. Let's talk about your approach to content creation in the awareness, consideration and decision stages and how you approach content creation in each of these stages. I think what you're talking about there, Ash, is the marketing funnel, isn't it? It's how do people come into your ecosystem as a business owner. And a lot of business owners don't know this, right? Because it does help work out what do you want to say? And that is one of the first questions a client will ask is, what do we write? And that's not a simple answer. You have to take a few steps back and look at the creative brief, which is another thing I talk to a lot of my students about is having a creative brief. So you don't just go straight into the writing of something. You actually do a whole series of question and answer sort of responses. So what I do, Ash, and what I train my students to think about is firstly, who's your customer? Right. Pretty basic. You try and get down to the one person, not so much a group, you know, 25 to 34 year old women who buy groceries. I like to think within that subset, who is this woman? What is her name? Where does she live? How many children does she have? What does she do for a job? What's her concerns? What's the problem she'd love to solve here? And it doesn't take very long. I can do it in about two minutes with my clients. But once you get down to, okay, it's Gemma and she's CEO of a association for, let's say, cat lovers or something, you go, what's her issue? So that's step one. And then you work out, what are you selling? And that's another question that often gets overlooked in an advertising brief, because often clients think, oh, I just want to sell my business. I want to sell myself. It's like, let's take Commonwealth Bank. There's 200 products within a bank. An accountant has probably 10 products, a BAS service, a tax service, SMSF service. It's really important to work out what are we actually selling here in a particular campaign that you might be running? And then you think, well, based on all that, we know the customer avatar, where are they at in their knowledge of this particular organization? Are they familiar with us? Have they bought from us before? Are they brand new? Are they lapsed? So from the awareness point of view, if they're not aware of us, we can't very well sell it, can we? Just taking copywriting as an example, because that's what I do. I'd say, well, in the awareness stage, they don't know anything. They don't know even what copywriting is. So from a content point of view, you think about the FAQs that that particular customer might have, the avatar. And for me, it'd be like, what is copyright? So I'm going to be doing blogs on what is copywriting? How much can a copywriter earn? What is the difference between content creation and copywriting? So when you think about the questions people have in that awareness stage when they don't know much about you, it's really easy to start writing content because you just answer the questions. And then you move to you know, the consideration and that's moving people through the funnel where they know about you, read your book, or they've listened to your podcast or whatever they might be doing. And then you think, okay, they might be considering a course. So the questions they might be having, what is the best course for me? Do I need a degree to do this? What experience do I have in order to get the most from this, etc.? And then it comes down to the purchase cycle or yeah, making a decision. And they're thinking about other courses. How is my course different to the others? What are my success stories? What is my process? What is my money back guarantee? So you can start to see if you just know your customer, what you're selling, what questions they have, where are they at in the purchase cycle in terms of how much do they know about us, then the questions become self-evident and then you answer the questions in your copy. So that's kind of a very long-winded way to be distinct in terms of how do you actually use this purchase cycle and marketing funnel to work out what you need in content. That's great. Thank you for 
all that context, I would like to add a couple of things to that as well. First of all, I spoke to Joe Polizzi and we talked about something very similar. He said, create content that meets your customer where they are on their journey. And I think you touched on that as well when you said the customers of the awareness consideration or decision stage. Another, I've seen that similar framework on HubSpot as well. I'm a HubSpot solutions partner, but I've also seen people describe it as top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel. Funnel is a word that I don't quite like, but correct me if I'm wrong, but I think these are called navigational keywords, answering what type questions, consideration stages, answering how will this work for me type questions. And the decision stage is typically comparison type stuff where the customer's product aware, solution aware, and they're just deciding between product A and product B. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, there's lots of different models and funnels. Eugene Schwartz, which you've just referenced, they're all there. And it's just a matter of just working out what questions do people have and trying to order those questions appropriately. We have a similar approach in our nine-step business growth framework. And the first five steps are just dedicated to understanding who is the customer, what problem are you trying to solve? And I think that's a very, very important question, which is who. A great way to find out more about the who is to also do what I learned as the Amazon strategy, which is basically looking at reviews of books that solve problems around that particular pain point and then reading the reviews, typically the five-star ones and the one-star ones. And in there is that nugget, which is the problem as they see it in their words. Okay, let's move on to the next question, which is public speaking. We're going to shift gears a bit here. You delivered a TEDx talk. Congratulations. That's an amazing achievement. Can you tell us how you did it? And for people who are considering it, what should they think about? Any frameworks, any ideas you would like to share? I think as a former actress, people think that actors and presenters don't get nervous and they really, really do. What I do with my training is I teach people to deal with their nerves first, because if you haven't got the nerves under control, your content is going to be compromised. So from a TEDx point of view, there's a whole bunch of formulas and models out there, but I haven't found them to be that useful. And when I did mine, I just had to work it out for myself. And you only had 12 minutes. It's a very short amount of time to convey quite a complex argument, which is a lot of what the TED Talks are. And so I guess if I was to give any advice, it'd be get really clear about what is it you want to say? What is the one liner that you could possibly use as the name of your talk? How would you fill in the rest of the how-to? And for mine, it was how to bumble your way to success, which was a very unusual topic because who would publicly and willingly put themselves out as a bumbler to a global audience? I did think a lot about that because I thought, is that a brand I really want to be embracing for myself? But I did feel so strongly about the concept that I, I thought, no, I will take the risk and put it out there. I had an amazing reception and people still talk to me about it all these years later and I still use it. And that's why I feel strongly about it because the concept is in any creative process, be it learning a new skill, writing a piece of copy, learning how to do a podcast, building a relationship with someone, learning a new instrument or a language, whatever that task might be, the early stages of it is generally filled with bumbling. And there's lots of different names for that, but I've just called it bumbling because that's what it felt like for me. And if you accept that there's going to be a bumbling stage, then you tend to give yourself a little bit of slack and you're a little bit kinder to yourself when you will inevitably muck up or it's difficult or it's unpleasant, all those things that happen with a new project. That is, if you don't understand that that early stage is going to be unpleasant and bumbly, you blame yourself. You think, why can't I do this? I'm so dumb. I'm not good enough. I'm not intelligent enough. I'm not trained. Who do I think I am? And all those kind of negative beliefs that come out. And that stops you from progressing. And if we want to change and grow and do the things we want to do, we have to accept those early stages of a new task are going to be unpleasant. And if you just give yourself a little bit of time to get through it, like I'm writing a brand new course and it's been quite a massive project. And every time I start a new module, I'm thinking, oh, bumble. And it gets me through and it makes me know that there's an end to this. It won't always feel this badly. That's kind of what the TED talk 
talk was about. But to answer your question about structure, I think you've got to work out your top line, like what's the opening line. And I often think it's really helpful to talk about it from a universal truth. It's like, it's no secret that dot, 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 whatever that is. Let's face it. We all know this to be true. There's often these their prompts I use them in copywriting all the time, but they're very helpful little Device. triggers, you know, devices to help you understand what is the nub of this whole idea. And for example, I'm just making this up now, but for mine, it's no secret that starting a new project relationship or instrument is going to be difficult. If you just know that that's the opening line, then you've got the audience for a start because they're thinking that's true for me. And we're always looking for truth and connection. And once the audience are going, hey, that means something to me, then you've got them at least for 10 seconds. And then you've got to obviously elaborate, but then you move right down to the end of your speech. The last line is like, what do you want to say? What do you want them to do or feel at the end of your presentation? You know, do you want them to feel excited or motivated? Do you want them to feel cautioned or alarmed? And what do you want them to do? To talk to somebody, to ask a question, to fill out a form, whatever it might be. I think if you top and tail it with those two kind of devices, it helps you structure it and helps you work out, well, I've only got 12 minutes. And the other thing I do, Ash, is I work out how many words I can speak per minute, which is about 150. Generally, that's most people. And you think, okay, 10 minutes, 120 words, that's 1200 words. Therefore, you've got, I've got two and a half pages of content to fill. And if you know you've only got 1200 words, why write 10,000? Now, you might do that just to get to your idea, but it's very confronting when you've got 12,000 words and you've got to cut it back to 1,200. So if you know that only 1,200, you think, what are my greatest hits? What are the best lines that I've used? What are the best stories that I've been telling that get resonance? You just kind of narrow it down a little bit because if you don't know what you're heading for, it's very difficult to write copy. Wow, that's a copywriting lesson right there. Start with core message. And I think another very important word you used was connection and alignment. A great book, and we've talked about this before, is Made to Stick. I really love how that book approaches the idea of connecting with people and breaking their guessing machines and so on. If you haven't heard of it, I recommend checking it out. It's called Made to Stick by Dan and Chip Heath. You've given us some really great insights around how to think like a copywriter. I remember one of my mentors, John Morrow, said to me, if you want to write great quality copy, don't think like a writer, think like a street performer. And I think that is more and more true today as people's attention spans shrink. You have to win the first three seconds to then win the next 10 seconds to then win the next 30 seconds and so on. And hopefully you will have to love it enough value to keep them for life. But if you don't win the first three seconds, you're not going to win any attention from the audience, which is sadly increasingly fleeting. True. I was just going to say one of the things I train my students is to think about the opening line and the opening headline and that paragraph four, it's they don't read the first line, they're never going to get to that one. So the best offers in the world get buried. And I know there's a real temptation with writing copy, and I've done this myself, where you think, oh, I'm just leading up to it. I'm just ramping up. I'm just sort of setting the scene. It's like, no, get to the point. Tell them what you're selling as gently as you can early on. So they've got context. Because if you've got this kind of concept of just rabbiting on at the beginning about how good this thing's going to be, and people don't know what you're actually selling, there's no yeah. architecture to hang the idea on. So get to the points. Some other episodes that you might find useful, I've interviewed some other great copywriters including Brian Clark, that's ProductiveInsights.com slash 116, and Sonia Simone, ProductiveInsights.com slash 107, and John Morrow, ProductiveInsights.com slash 3. Bernadette, I asked Neil Patel this in episode 212, and I'm going to ask you the same question because I'm interested to know what you think. Do you write for the audience first and search engines second or the other way around? I would love to hear your thoughts on it. I think we have to write for the human first, obviously, because if you just write for Google and you might get 
on page one, but the person's going to read it and not connect with it. So it defeats the whole purpose of doing it. But what I would say is you can blend the two at the same time. For example, let's say copywriting courses is a key phrase that I want to be found for. Then if I know that, it makes it a lot easier to write my copy because I can use that as the basis for my copy. So I don't just say willy-nilly, I'm going to start from scratch with no concept of what the keywords are. I think, okay, they are the words. So therefore I might be thinking something along the lines of best copywriting courses in Australia, top copywriting course success stories. So you can sort of infiltrate those keywords into your copy. You merge both the human need and Google's need so that you come up with a piece of copy that's going to appease both camps. One thing that absolutely kills me, Bernadette, and I wanted to ask your opinion on this is I find SEO restricts or inhibits the creative process for me because I may want to write about something and I go and look it up on keywords everywhere. Damn, there's not enough search traffic for that. And that kind of just messes me up. And I asked Seth Odin what he thought in episode 200 and he said, I don't use SEO at all. I asked Derek Sivers the same question and he doesn't either. So for those who are listening and watching, you don't have to use SEO to guide all your writing. I like to, but I'm curious to know Bernadette, how do you not allow that technical SEO process to interrupt your creative process where you feel moved to write about something, but then the damn SEO tells you not to write about it? Yeah, I think it is a blend. I don't think you can ignore the SEO completely, but at the same time, I don't think you can ignore your instinct and impulse as well. And people know their audiences fairly well. I listen to what my students say. I listen to what my customers or prospects say. I hear the questions that they're asking me. And I take that into accommodation as well when I'm writing copy. But what would the normal person, this customer app would ask? You think, okay, well, how can I niche that? How can I long tail it a little bit so that I do create a really interesting phrase or blog or whatever title that might get found a little bit more easily than some of the other ones that have got a lot of competition. So I think you can play the game a little bit, but I think you've got to just always start with the customer in mind. If you don't, it's like, where do you begin? It's impossible, actually, I think, to write copy if you don't think about the customer at the heart of it. So let's talk a little bit about that, actually, because to me, and please feel free to correct me if you don't agree, but to me, copywriting is about 80%, if not more, research. Because if you're not in the right conversation, it doesn't matter how good your sentences are. What are your favorite research tools where you go and find out about your audience who she is, where she hangs out and so on. Well, I have a creative briefing document that I call it my single source of truth. And I use that with all my training and all my students love it because they never knew there was a brief to start with. And that's a revelation for a lot of people that you can actually document or codify the creative process to some degree. And rather than as copywriters turn up to a client not knowing anything about their business, it feels quite intimidating. You're talking to a manufacturer of rubber hoses or tires or tiles. And I've worked with all those bizarre products that I've worked with. I know nothing about them. I've never use them. It doesn't matter. Yes, I'll do my research before I go, but if I just have the client in front of me, that's a great starting point. And I ask them these very specific questions and they are very specific. That gets me started and it gives me enough knowledge to be a little bit dangerous. Then of course, I'll talk to their customers. I look at the testimonials and you mentioned that just a moment ago, which is quite interesting. And I've got this technique from Liz Green, one of my copywriters. She's one of my students who's done exceptionally well. She's very good with the voice of customer research or VOC. And what she does is if she can't get access to the client's or they don't have any clients yet, they're brand new. She goes to the competitors and she looks at their testimonials, what they say, good and bad or bad reviews, hopefully not, but if they're there. And she sees what's the nub of this, what is important to these people. And it's interesting, you can actually get it from other competitors, what's important for your client as well. So that's good if you don't have access to clients. Use the product. That's why I say to my students, pick a topic that you really enjoy using yourself or a product or service that you love yourself. Like it might be yoga, it might be pet 
pets. It might be wine. It might be travel because every industry needs a copywriter. So why not start with something that you actually enjoy so that it's not a chore to research that particular product. I've had a student of mine called Ruth who loved wine. We did some coaching. We worked out to how you can find that first gig and she did. And now she's working with Treasury Estate. And she was the last time I spoke to her, she was at McGill in South Australia on a hill drinking wine and writing about it. And she goes, Bernadette, you've changed my life. I said, well, you did it. We worked together to create that. But you had the knowledge and the guts and that's a part of it as well. Have the guts to honour what is it you love? What do you really want to do? Don't just say something just because you think it might make money. What do you really love to do? What do you read? What's on your bedside table? What would you do for free? What conferences do you attend for free? And when you get clear about those ideas, then you know that there's going to be a market for that because every industry needs a copywriter. And life just gets a lot easier because you can research to the cows come home. You don't mind. You're getting better at what you do and you're enjoying the process. I first heard about the Amazon research technique from a person called Danny Inney, who's quite a good copywriter himself. And I want to also ask you, do you use things like Quora or the Amazon strategy and took it to Udemy and did the same thing on there? Do you use those tools at all to do your voice? A lot of my students do, especially the younger cohort. I don't, no particular reason. But yeah, I know a lot of my students love all that stuff. And I think if you're struggling for ideas or you'd like to get a really good broad section, like Reddit's brilliant for that kind of stuff. But it's not something I would turn to for the in the first instance. I'm not saying I wouldn't. I occasionally do. They're not my first go-to points of call. I'll tell you what, in our nine-step framework, we are very big on this. And that is talk face-to-face with a customer if you can, because while it's not scalable, having a face-to-face conversation gives you so much more nuanced feedback on what matters to the customer, what doesn't. We have a lot of communication that happens that we don't even know about through micro expressions and stuff like that. So even a Zoom call, if you can get on a Zoom call with a customer and ask them, maybe you use the FIN framework if you want to apply that Neil Rackham selling framework, but this is not just for selling, even for customer research, you can try and understand your customer better by speaking to them face-to-face. The second best option is maybe on the phone. And the third best is through surveys. Surveys are very scalable, but I am very biased towards the face-to-face. And once you have enough of a feel, which is what I sense you do, Bernadette, for your ideal customer, then all these other things just become more... Uh, supportive, really. Supportive. It's a backup. Augment, augment. that's it. And the other thing too, Ash, is podcasts. I have a podcast and I interview a lot of my students because I'm thrilled and fascinated by how they've progressed. And it gives me permission to say, how did you do that? What was the defining moment for you? When did you just leap into the unknown and give up your job and start copywriting? What was going through your head? What did you do to find your first client? And if you do have a podcast, bring your clients onto it and use that as an elevation for them and also market research for you. And that's not why I do it, but I'm always intrigued as to how people succeed. That's a nice way of doing it in a really respectful and fun way for both. I couldn't recommend it more highly. I did a podcast with one of my clients, Amanda Farmer. She's a lawyer. And we interviewed her twice, actually. First, when she was six weeks post-launch for her podcast. I helped her launch a podcast. And then 20 months in, she ended up on Sky News and Channel 10. She really took it to the next level. And it was a great way to showcase her skills, but also that this framework that I have actually does work. A couple more tools I would like to recommend to people listening or watching. SparkToro, which is the newest bit of software created by Rand Fishkin. I've been using it for about a year. I find it incredibly helpful. It actually looks at people's profiles to get a better understanding of the customer. It's not keyword centric. It's more person centric. So you really understand your audience better. And you can learn more about that in my conversation with them in episode 159. And the other tool, which we'll just quickly touch on is ChatGPT, which is all the rage at the moment. What used to take me seven, eight hours is now taking me maybe half an hour. So you should be using that. Otherwise, you're at a competitive disadvantage. If there's anything you'd like to add to that, you're welcome to do so. Uh, Yeah, it's a hot topic, isn't it? Everyone's asked 
asking about it. And, and with good reason, it's an amazing piece of technology. And I think it has opportunities and it has threats. And you're absolutely right. Get on it, use it and start to see how it can be useful to you. And as copywriters, I don't think it's going to cut jobs out anytime soon. It might compromise some things like product descriptions and things like that, which are kind of rote and very formulaic in some respects, or it can fast track that. You still need the human touch. But I think where we can really have a point of difference to the chatbot is to think about the higher level thinking skills that are required here. Who's the customer audience? What stage of the process are they at? What are the things that matter to them? And I think we have to get the strategy right before we even bother ourselves with writing the content. And I think that's not what the chatbot can do. It it can't do strategy. It can't work out what is it we need to say and should say. And that's what us copywriters and digital marketers need to be good at. So I think once you've got that sorted, by all means, it's going to make life a lot easier. But when we're talking to clients, a lot of copywriters are concerned that they might be losing revenue or whatever. I think be honest about it. Say, look, I use it, but you're going to get a better result because of what I'm doing, my time, my expertise, my work. You're going to get a better result. It doesn't mean I'm not writing it. It just means I'm using it as a starting point so we can fast track the writing process. So I think it's got opportunities and threats and you just have to use it and see how it works and see where it's going. I recently attended a conference with Brian Clark and Robert Bly. And I really like one of the things that came out of that, that it produces what they call B-grade copywriting, which means that you can still use it, but it doesn't have things like emotion. It doesn't have examples of how the particular product works or what you're saying, actually, unless you ask it for those examples. So it's not perfect yet. Well, I think what it can also be is a great research tool for you researching your client. You know, I was just talking to a colleague just a moment ago about this, and he was looking at toddler sunglasses. And he put in the prompt, tell me about toddler sunglasses. And he got all this information about that he wasn't even conscious of about ISO standards and quality control, which he was able to take that and bring it into his copy, but he had no concept that that was important to that particular topic. So I think we can use it as like a tree, sort of the pillar of the kind of content pieces that we'd like to investigate. And we go, okay, didn't know about that bit. I'll grab that bit and then I'll research that again. So it can be a lovely sort of fountain or source of information that we might not have been privy to previously. A great research assistant. In fact, I just remembered what I was going to say before, and that is it's a case of garbage in, garbage out at this moment in time. I don't know how the next version is going to be, but in this version, if you don't ask the right questions and if you don't put in the correct input, you're going to get very substandard output. So that's where the skill comes in. Your experience as a copywriter or a business owner or whatever it is you do, it's about asking the right questions of the software. Researching is important, but an important part of research is knowing which book to go to. Who are the authorities in the field? You don't go and read some big grade book and assume that that is correct. Not everything on the internet is true. So you need to be able to filter the curation element and that you don't get in this version of ChatGPT. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about how your skills as a copywriter help to change a life or a business. Part of the reason I love what I do, Ash, and this has only come about since I've started the training, is you realize people want something different in their lives. I get a lot of teachers coming through my program and I use them as an example because their world is being impacted by this very technology that we've just been talking about. And COVID impacted them dramatically. And they're coming to a point where they say, you know what, I can't do this anymore. So I've had a lot of teachers say, is this really a thing? Could I possibly make a career out of this? And it's a serious question because they're giving up a job to go and become a copywriter. So they need to know the truth. And I've interviewed a number of my students on my podcast, so I know their stories quite intimately. There's one 
one woman I'm thinking of who was a teacher, head of a private girls, girls school of English, head of the department, and just wanted to be home, wanted to be with a dog, wanted to walk on the beach during the morning, didn't want the stress of the classroom and everything. So she took my advice and she did the training and she saved up a little bit of money just to have a bit of a backup. And she just resigned from a very high paying, very respectable and prestigious job. And she just went to a first networking event. She was terrified. She used the script that we gave her. She found a first client. She did it again and again and basically rinsed and repeated the process. And now she looks back and she says, I can't believe I'm learning as much as I was as a teacher. I work when I want with whom I want. I'm challenged. It's creatively stimulating. It's intellectually demanding. I'm respected for what I do. And the need is growing and I can work with the clients that I want. So I get a lot of those stories where people have given up jobs that they didn't see a future in it and they feel stuck. And I get a lot of joy out of that from being able to see people make progress and take information and apply it. And I don't take credit for that. I I give them all credit because knowledge is there. It's who applies it that really makes a difference. And I've seen students that I've worked with 20 years ago, like one man, he was just a young guy out of RMIT, studied web design, and then he got a bit of confidence from the course as well. And he did a award school, which is like a sort of industry training program. He was like one of the top performers in that particular program. He got picked up by Clemenger's. Uh, he rose to the top of Clemenger's, was the creative director. He won every Khan Award, which is the advertising equivalent of the Oscars, 28 of them. Wow. And just extraordinary. Now he's on my podcast as well. And I'm still in touch with this beautiful man. And he just says, your course was the gateway drug. And I look at his life now, again, don't take credit for what he's achieved, but I was privy to the beginnings of it. And so when I see these people progressing on a certain age, and I've been able to see people move through over the 20 years I've been doing this, and it gives me enormous joy just to see how people can take the information, apply it and change their lives. I love your generosity and your acknowledgement that as consultants or coaches or copywriters, we can provide frameworks, but we can't lift the weights. We can't do the execution. It is up to the business owner or the client to do the execution, unless of course it's a done for you service, which is another conversation altogether. Are you comfortable sharing how our audience can listen to that podcast? Because this person- Yeah, of course. All these people I've been mentioning are on the podcast. It's you want to be a copywriter and you can just look that up on wherever you get your podcast. You can go to copyschool.com. That's my website and you can find it there. And if you want to be a copywriter, you can work out what you can earn. We have a rate card that you can download. It's a lovely matrix that tells people what mediums you can work in and how much you can earn. And we've got a beginner price with an experience price. We've got an in-between price in case you don't feel very confident. One of the things I do say is try and move from free to fee as quickly as you can, because the amount of work you put into something for free is the amount of work you put into something you pay for. So what's the difference? It's just your belief in the material that you've created. So if people want to learn how to get paid for their work, there's a beautiful rate card there they can download. How do people find out about this rate card? This sounds really interesting. Do they just go to copyschool.com and what do they look for on your website? Yep. There's copyschool.com and there will be a little icon saying download the rate card and you can download it and get it instantly. So it's on the homepage. I'm going to do that. One tip I wanted to share with our listeners and viewers is the benefit of using something called the alter ego effect, which I learned from a guy called Todd Herman, who's written a book by that name. And he was a guest on episode 176. And for me, I do have a lot of mindset issues, which have got a lot of baggage from childhood and so on. But I found the alter ego effect approach 
to be very useful in sidestepping a lot of the baggage rather than having to deal with the baggage, which I still think you need to deal with. We all have our demons and we need to work through them. But I found it is a very quick, I don't want to use the word shortcut, but it's a quick sidestep. So I'm just going to give a really brief overview on how it has helped me. And maybe it will help people who are watching or listening to this. The idea of the alter ego effect is not new and it's been around forever. David Bowie had Ziggy Stardust and the Beatles had Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band and Beyonce, who I would like to say I'm not a fan of, I just don't like her music, created Sasha Fierce, which was the name of her first album. One of the challenges, I believe, was she wasn't comfortable with all the suggestive kind of dance moves that you had to do to make it big in music because she was raised in a fairly conservative background. So she created Sasha Fierce and that became her alter ego and that helped her to break out of her own mental stories that were holding her back. So if you are struggling as a writer or a business owner and you are having difficulty getting rid of those stories, a great way to do it is to create an alter ego, another version of yourself, if you like. In Todd Herman's case, you'll see the book has a pair of glasses on the front. So he has his reverse Superman, where he puts on the glasses and he's like Superman kind of thing. And you step into that ego, you have a totem and that totem kind of activates that alter ego and then allows you to do things that the normal you would otherwise would be fearful of. But over time, the alter ego and the real you sort of meet in the middle and you form a sort of a new persona. And there's a ton of different use cases for this. And Todd Herman's worked with Olympians and all sorts of athletes of various levels. And it seems to work. That's my two cents. I love that so much. And I've heard other variations of it, which I find really interesting too. One woman, I don't know her personally, but I heard her tell a story that she was starting up a business and she didn't have any staff. And she felt really uncomfortable emailing people about sales. Like, are you going to buy my product or not? Or can I get a testimonial? So she created an assistant <laughs> called like Lucy or somebody right. who didn't exist. And so whenever she sent the emails from Lucy, the PA or Lucy, the publicist or Lucy, whoever it was. So even though it was her, because it was under the different name of somebody else, she felt a bit of a distance. So she didn't actually have to go through the emotional wear and tear of sending it herself. So I thought that was really interesting. And I, I've often said that to my students that asking for testimonials can be quite challenging. So either email it so that you don't feel you have to ask it personally, or do get a PA or a VA to do it for you. So you don't even know it's being done or when it's being done. It just gets done. Or if you can't afford that, use this alter ego that you've just mentioned. I love it. Great idea. Yeah. And don't forget to have a totem to activate it. So one of the people that inspires me the most is my wife, who is an incredibly strong and accomplished human being. And she received a monogrammed coffee mug. I kind of stole it from her and I have it on my desk. And when I look at it, that's my way of saying, well, if she can achieve what she has and overcome the obstacles she's overcome, I can do it too. And that's the other thing. Your idol or your hero doesn't have to be someone who's written 25 books and whose name is up in lights. It could be someone you're married to. It could be your kids. My kids are very inspiring to me. So it could be your clients. Yeah, I think it's great. Another way is rent ahead is like, what would so-and-so do in this situation? What would Oprah Winfrey do here? What would Elon Musk do? What would the Pope do? You know, what would Gandhi do? So sometimes just stepping into the realm of another persona who's renowned for that particular quality that you want to adopt, that's often a useful thing to do as well. Well, that was a wonderful conversation. Is there anything else you would like to add, Bernadette? Nothing. I think you've covered a great plethora of topics there, Ash. It's been a delight talking to you and thank you very much for having me. Lovely to have you and maybe we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. 
How can Ash help you today? 